Well, it is exciting to be back with you again this morning, talking about Ephesians 3 and the gospel. There are very few topics that get me more excited than the gospel, and so I'm very, very thrilled to be able to study Ephesians 3 together a little bit today. But I wanted to start by saying that the gospel really is good news. Amen? Just think about it. We have peace with God. How many billions of people today are striving and working to attain something that we have as a promise because of what he has done for us? This is incredible. We also have hope that so much of this world doesn't have. You know, our precious neighbors just lost their son last week. And unfortunately, this is the second child they've lost in the last 12 months. And as I held hands with our neighbor uh, two nights ago, I said, we have this hope of eternal life. And he's a believer. And he said, Nate, it's not just a hope. This is reality. (laughs) Amen? We know a hope that the world doesn't know. And that is good news. We have peace with God. We have hope. We have an abundant life. Do any of you experience an abundant life? When your circumstances go up and down... It doesn't steal your peace. It doesn't steal your hope because that's in the rock-solid truth of the Lord and his word, right? We have an abundant life in him, and we have an eternity to look forward to, and this isn't just a myth. This is truth. This is reality proven by the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have so much, and that is very good news. So as we talk about the gospel today, we are talking about great news This is wonderful what God has done for us and what he's given to us, and I'm excited to dive into it together. I want to make a note for all of you K-group leaders and any others that might need these notes. There are going to be about 20 copies at the information desk for you, so if you'd like to pick them up for your class, you can get them there. We're going to be diving into Ephesians 3 and really picking it apart today and learning about this good news, the gospel. Last two weeks, we talked about the sufficiency of Christ, right? Two weeks ago, we heard that Jesus is Lord, he's Savior, he's God, and God is bringing everything under submission to him in the whole universe. He's in charge of it all. And then last week, we looked specifically at the work of Christ, the good things that he's done in our lives. A good friend of mine says the two most important words in all the Bible are in Ephesians 2. But God. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? It's so true. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. He did something amazing. And I encouraged you to think of his work in terms of your own life. What has he done in your life? I hope that was encouraging to you as you dug into that a little bit last week. This week we get to talk about the gospel of Christ. And Who he is, chapter 1, and what he's done, chapter 2, is good news, chapter 3. Does that make sense? This is really good stuff, and the world needs some good news. There are far too many people that have never heard the good news. There are about 500 to 600,000 villages in India that don't know the name of Christ. Uh, That's intolerable. (laughs) That's not acceptable. The world needs this good news. The world desperately needs this good news that we have. So as we think about the good news, 
I want you to think about a, a question that we'll come back to in the application. Would you be ready to share the good news if you had that opportunity? I believe many of us will have those opportunities. I'm going to tell you one that happened to me. My undergraduate degree was in chemistry, and once I was in the organic chemistry lab, and one of the students said, uh, Nate, there's something very different about you. I started getting excited. This is, this is the big chance, right? I'm a sophomore college student. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? They're finally asking. <laughs> getting all excited, right? And shortly after that, another student said, yeah, there is something different about you. And then before I knew it, the whole class was around me saying there was something different about me. I'm thinking, how am I going to handle this? This is like street preaching. This is insane. <laughs> then the lab professor, Dr. Hamilton, comes and says the same thing. Yeah, there is something different about you, Nate. And I'm, I'm like so excited I can barely handle it. And then someone says, you're the only one in here without lab goggles on. <laughs> so they weren't seeing the difference I was hoping they were seeing. <laughs> but let's just imagine they were. At that time in my life, I had no idea what I was going to say. I was just like, I can't believe this is real. <laughs> Uh, today, I want to leave you with a way that, that you could respond if that situation happened. We're going to look at how to share the good news. Uh, and my hope is by the end of this message, we'll, we'll all have a little bit of an idea how to do that. So I want to share my outline with you. It's been up there a minute, but the gospel of Christ, we're going to see in Ephesians, the mystery of the ages. This is something that was not new, but God had been preparing people for from the beginning of time. It's the message for all people. This is a message that Paul committed his life to and that needed to be shared. It's the manifestation of God's character. We're going to see in this passage God's love for his people, for the church, and that is what drives this. And finally, we're going to conclude with the maxim of our faith, something that we can stand on no matter what we encounter in this life. So let's start with the gospel, the mystery of the ages. And you can read with me in Ephesians 3. I'm throwing another curveball at you guys today. Somebody asked if we could read from the NASB. So I said, let's do it. So we're going to read from the NASB today instead of the CSB. Whatever translation you have is fine, but if you'd like to read along with us, we're going to read together. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we're talking about the mystery of the ages. And I got to tell you another uh, little funny story here, but I like it when mysteries turn out well, don't you? So, Aaron, could you stand up? I didn't tell her I was going to embarrass her like this. This is my precious wife. She's what you guys always see all the time. She's the most peaceful, gentle person I've ever met. Uh, she's a treasure. 
So you can imagine how happy I was when she finally said yes to marrying me. Yeah, it took her a little while to to realize that this was God's will. (laughs) But shortly after we were engaged, I get a letter from a former uh, love of her life saying, Nate, she was mine first. You better leave her alone or there will be consequences. And it was signed Rusty P. Orth. So you can imagine I was a little bit shocked, and uh, I show her the letter. <laughs> Do you know a Rusty? <laughs> she goes, never heard of a Rusty. <laughs> she reads it. She is absolutely perplexed. I, I promise you, I don't know a Rusty, Nate. <laughs> and so as we read the letter, she looks at the address, and it's from 666 Animalia Way. And she realizes that her cousins had some chickens, and they affectionately named one Animalia. And they had a horse named Rusty, who they referred to as poor old Rusty fellow, P. Orf. (laughs) So all of a sudden, she had a light bulb moment. My cousins (laughs) are playing tricks on us. And so her sweet cousins had sent us this, this mystery letter, and it all turned out with a really good laugh. I love it when mysteries turn out well. We're going to be talking about the greatest mystery and how it turned out very, very well, right? Uh, We start with Ephesians 3, 1, and I want to come back to something called an undesigned coincidence. You might have never heard this term. Most scholars and apologists don't use it. It's kind of a newer term, but it's going to be something that's very exciting to dive into. In Ephesians 3, 1... Paul tells us, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So he says that he's a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles. Left alone, we wouldn't probably know what he was talking about there. But because of Acts, we know. Does that make sense? Looking at two separate books in an unrelated way, we see the historical account in Acts. We see that the Jews had traveled along behind Paul and in front of him and caused trouble for him, and eventually he'd become imprisoned because of their accusation in Jerusalem that he supposedly took an an uncircumcised Greek into the temple, Trophimus, who was from Ephesus. I talked about that last week. So in Acts, we see the clarification to what Paul says in Ephesians 3.1. Did you catch that? Now, this to us, of course, we know the Bible is God's inspired word, so It makes all the sense in the world. We know that it would be this way. But if you were a skeptic, these things show you they're not making the story up. You get what I'm saying? There is internal corroboration from book to book, and even when the writers aren't even trying to do it. And this is not the only example. This is one example. In that uh, slide, you saw a picture of a menorah that was found in Ephesus on the steps to the Library of Celsus. Uh, Proof that, yes, the Jews were in Ephesus, and what what we hear in both Acts and what Paul is writing to the church there is absolutely true. This is an incredible corroboration of the truth of Scripture, and we see it throughout. There are many things like this. Let me tell you a few other undesigned coincidences. Every time I speak, I want to encourage you with the truth of God's Word and some basic apologetics, and I hope this encourages you. In Matthew, we hear that Herod was telling his attendants that Jesus was John the Baptist who'd come back from the dead. And the skeptic might ask, well, how in the world did Jesus and his disciples know what Herod's attendants were talking about, right? 
Fair question. Well, if you look over to Luke, unrelated, separate book, separate passages, not even dealing with the same thing. In Luke, we read that one of the women who followed Jesus and contributed to him out of her own means was married to the manager of Herod's household. Isn't that cool? So how did they know what was going on in Herod's household? Well, one of the followers was married to the manager of Herod's household. That's another example of that. Another one is in John. John the Baptist says that he saw the the Holy Spirit descending when he baptized Jesus. And he says, and I knew he was the son of God. But that's all we're told in John. How in the world would he know that he was the son of God just from John? Well, we look over at the parallel passage in Matthew. And what do we see there? A voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? So we see that corroboration between books. Or Philip and the 5,000. This one was exciting. Uh, Jesus, before feeding the 5,000, he asks Philip, where could we buy enough food for this group? And you might easily ask, why Philip, right? Why, Why would he ask Philip? Well, we're told later in the book that Philip was from Bethsaida, right? And in an unrelated passage in a different chapter, actually not an unrelated passage, but in Luke, we read that the feeding of the 5,000 took place where? Bethsaida. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus was asking the person from that very place to demonstrate to the disciples there's no place here that you could possibly buy enough food for 5,000 people, but I'm going to do it miraculously. Those are what uh, Lydia McGrew and others have called undesigned coincidences. She's written a fabulous book on it with dozens more examples. It's exciting, but it just shows you even this extra layer of reliability in God's word that I think is uh, really fun to look at. Okay, so let's look at this uh, mystery. Paul tells us that he's a prisoner for this mystery. He doesn't just say that in Ephesians. He says it in Colossians 4, 3, 2. Those passages were probably written about the same time and probably from about the same location, in prison in Rome. And so Paul multiple times is saying, I'm in prison for this mystery. We explained beforehand how that had come to be. You can read about it in Acts 21 and the accusation that eventually landed him in prison. Uh, This is all... Uh, incredible to look at. Let's look at Paul's reason for doing this, because he starts by saying, for this reason, right? So when we look back at chapter 2, we studied it last week. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Paul references again for this reason, that same statement uh, about verse 14 in this chapter, referring back to what God has done to, to bring the Ephesians together, to unify Jew and Gentile in him, and then going on to say, because of this, We need to understand God's heart for his church, right? We need to grasp his love for the saints. So the reason that that he's going into all this, the good news of what God has done, is because of who we've been made to be in Christ and the fact that we've been brought together as one family unified in him. Uh, Remember, as he writes in prison, he's not doing this with a victim mentality, as I might be tempted to do. He's not saying, oh, This is really rough, guys. (laughs) He didn't have that perspective. 
In Philippians 1, he rejoiced that his chains had helped further the gospel. He was looking at every circumstance as an opportunity and really to see the gospel spread through his opportunities and circumstances. In 1 Corinthians 9, he tells us that he would gladly put up with anything other than hinder the gospel. He was gospel-focused. There was a mystery that had been revealed, and this mystery needed to be proclaimed, and prison was not going to stop him. And, and he even asks these Ephesians, a few verses later, to not lose heart at his tribulations on their behalf, because they are their glory. Right? Paul's reason was what God had done in the church. Paul's stewardship was this grace that God had given him to share with the Gentiles. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, a few verses later than what I previously just quoted, he said that, that he'd been given a stewardship to preach the gospel. But it was more than that. He said it wasn't just a stewardship. This was a joy for him to do. It was a joy for him to share what God had done. It was more than just a stewardship, but it was a stewardship. See, we, we've been given a stewardship as well to share the gospel. The mystery has been revealed. Now it needs to be proclaimed. Uh, Paul's revelation, just like my wife had that light bulb moment, remember, in the mystery? Ah, I know what this is. Paul had a light bulb moment. He had studied the Old Testament scriptures, and all of a sudden, it all made sense. It's Jesus. Everything, everything points to Jesus. And that light bulb moment wasn't figurative for him, right? It was on the road to Damascus. It was a very bright light bulb moment. But it all came together, and it all made sense for him. And now he was committed to proclaiming this mystery. So let me tell you what Paul tells us is that mystery. He tells us four things in Ephesians. So he tells us, first of all, and there's a slide that goes with us, this, this mystery in, in chapter 1 is the submission of all of creation to Christ. That's amazing. Everything is coming under the lordship of Christ, right? The mystery is the submission of all of creation to Christ. And then in Ephesians 3, in this chapter, he tells us that this has been God's eternal plan, but the mystery is the assimilation of Jews and Gentiles in Christ, He's brought us all together. In Ephesians 2, we heard that he, destro he destroyed the dividing wall. And in him, we've been brought together as one. And, and he goes on in Ephesians 5, sharing the example of a husband and a wife in perfect unity. And he says, but I'm speaking of the mystery of Christ in the church. So the, the unification of the church and Christ is a part of this mystery. He, he goes into more detail in other places but it's all kind of in line with this. In Romans 11, 16, 11 and in 16, two different chapters. In Colossians 1, in 1 Timothy 3, the mystery is referred to as the gospel and that it's for the Jews, the Gentiles, and every family on this earth. In, in Colossians 2, he says, Jesus is the mystery. Isn't that amazing? It all comes back to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 2, he calls this mystery God's wisdom. Right? God did something really special here. And then 13 chapters later, he talks about our glorification in heaven uh, being the ultimate fulfillment of this mystery, right? So this mystery has now been made known, and it must now be proclaimed. At the very end, the fourth thing Paul says in this chapter, or in this book, in 6, 
is pray that I would proclaim this mystery boldly as I should. He actually calls it the gospel there, the good news. And he says exactly the same thing to the Colossians too, that, that they would pray that he would proclaim this mystery. Uh, so this mystery has been revealed, but now it needs to be made known. If you look ahead to Revelation 10.7, there's this encouraging little verse that says, at this time, this mystery that had been foretold by the prophets was accomplished. Um, I, I just want to encourage you, we are, we are not here on this earth in vain in our day and age. God's work is happening all around the globe, and it will come to completion. The vision statement for the Great Commission Alliance, the ministry that we work with, is the Great Commission completed. <laughs> and I just want to take a minute to, to encourage you with that truth. There will come a day when this mystery is fulfilled and the Great Commission is completed, and there are believers throughout the earth making him known. Uh, I can't wait for that day. Okay, Paul's insight. Paul says in verse 4 that this was unclear in other generations, but now it's been revealed uh, to the prophets in the word by the Spirit. And he says that the Gentiles have been included in Christ and in his body and in his promise. And, and all of this is through the gospel. He tells us that this is good news, and that's actually what the word gospel means, is good news. And this really is good news. Right? This is incredible news. This is really, really incredible news. So it's good news, and like I said, it's to, it's to be revealed. It's not to be just considered. It's to be shared. And that's the next thing that we're going to look at, is the gospel being the message for all people. So let's read uh, 7 through 13 together in chapter 3. Picking up at the very end of 6, it says, The gospel, and you can read with me, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power, to me the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might, be known, might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Okay, so the message that is to be shared. I'm going to start this next little session on the message with a little bit of a, a, a real-time graphic. And you can put that up now. I'm going to explain it to you. And I'm just going to keep it up while we talk. Uh, this is a graphic from just one evangelistic site that is run by Crew. Uh, that was formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. And throughout the world, they have evangelistic websites. In America, it's everystudent.com. We refer students to it all the time. But throughout the world, you'll see those. I think once in Turkey, we actually saw a sticker or something with uh, one of their links on it. They try to put these in languages that a lot of people are going to be able to understand. And then they try to get them out there where people are going to be able to access them. And they can get on the site, and they can hear the gospel, and they can have some questions answered. 
And they can even respond and make a decision, indicate a decision to put their trust in Christ. And then, if they're willing, they can be followed up with. They're real live people that can help disciple them and work with them. Now, on this uh, graphic right now, you can see that today alone, just through this ministry, this isn't all the salvations on this planet, but today alone, 22,722 people have indicated a decision to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. Is that amazing? Today, nearly 150,000 have heard the gospel through one of these sites. And about 25,900 have had some kind of discipleship connection today. That's good news. This message that Paul committed his life to spreading, it is still spreading. Again, this is not the full extent of it by any means. But it's a snapshot of some of what God is doing globally. Uh, When you see the orange bubbles, those are people making decisions for Christ. The blue are gospel uh, conversations. And the green is discipleship. Look how many you'll see even in the 1040 window and in some of those persecuted countries. Okay, I'm going to leave that up as I talk. And I, I hope this just helps you see in a fresh new way some of how this message is being spread throughout the globe and what is happening because of this good news. Uh, do any of you like presents? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I like presents. Probably the best present I ever received was in Mexico City in 1986. I turned eight. We were there for the World Cup soccer games doing outreach as a family. And that summer, I got my first pocket knife. It was awesome. I knew I had to wait till eight, so I couldn't wait for my eighth birthday. But I want to make a point here that Paul talks about this grace being given to him to share the gospel. I want to make a note that you don't have to have the gift of evangelism to share your faith, right? That, that would be crazy. Just like if um, Pastor David came up to me and said, Nate, I'm having a hard day. I could use some encouragement. And I said, well, that's not my gift. <laughs> Sorry. You should find Gregory, though. He's pretty encouraging. <laughs> That would be foolish, right? Some of us have the gift of encouragement. Maybe not all of us do. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be encouraging. Same thing with evangelism. We might not all have that gift. That's fine. I I love seeing people with that gift. It's exciting. Um, But you know what? All of us have the privilege of sharing as well. And it's a privilege, and Paul calls it that. It's It's God's grace to us to be able to share. So this is a present from God. In 1 John 5, 3, we're told that God's commands are not burdensome. Isn't that a good promise? The abundant life in Christ, it it happens as we walk with him. Bill Bright said, there are no happy, disobedient Christians, and there are no unhappy, obedient Christians. Isn't that good? As we walk with the Lord, and as we're open to being used as he leads, as opportunities come up, That's an exciting life. That's part of the abundant life. And it's God's gift to us to partner with him in what he's doing around the world. Aren't you excited as a church to be a part of that? And you are a part of that. You are. So this is God's gift to us. I just want to contrast sometimes uh, the way we think. Sometimes we think this is a burden to share this message. And I understand sometimes it's hard. (laughs) And our insecurities kind of come up and it's weird to start a conversation. Remember John the Baptist, who in all four Gospels and in Acts said that he wasn't even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. Or or remember the apostles in Acts chapter 5 saying that they 
rejoiced that the Lord had counted them worthy to be persecuted for Christ, right? Here we have this incredible privilege to, to actually partner with Christ and what he's doing in an eternally significant way. <laughs> this is an incredible gift that God gives us to join him in his work. You know what? He doesn't leave us there, though. He empowers us for his work. Thank God, because there's nothing in me that would draw a person to Christ, and that's okay. I can, I can accept that. He's the one that, that has to do it in me. See, this is the power of God, but we can share the power of God with the power of God, because God empowers us to share this message. In Acts 1.8, he makes his disciples and followers that promise that they would have the power of his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. And that's true for us today. When you trusted Christ, he put his Holy Spirit in your life. You were indwelt at that moment with the Holy Spirit. The Bible's clear on that. And in fact, Ephesians 1 told us that. But every one of us has a daily decision whether we'll walk in submission to the Spirit, allowing him to live Christ's life through us in his power, not our own. And as we surrender to him, he really will empower us to witness. Um, that's a fact. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen it in my own life where I felt insecure and weak and God did something awesome. I don't want to waste all my time on stories, but I'll tell you another funny story. I've got to be careful how I say this. Um, so there used to be a, an atheist that would come every week to the snack bar at the Fort Lewis campus, and he'd say, give me my verse for the day. And I had a little Gideon Bible. It was before smartphones. And I'd go, and he'd go, stop. And I'd stop right there. <laughs> and I'd look down, and I would always try to cherry pick whatever was in that area <laughs> to be gospel focused. And one day it landed on Ephesians 2. So you can imagine what I read, 8 and 9, right? And I got to explain the gospel to this, this skeptic. He's like, thanks for the verse for the day. It was kind of like a routine that we did. Aaron remembers this guy. So anyway, I thought that was the end of it. Uh, several days later, I'm in the men's restroom, and I don't typically have conversations in the men's restroom. <laughs> Interesting story, I met Lee Strobel in a restroom, and I didn't even know it was him but until later. But in this particular instance, the gentleman uh, to my side, he says, hey, uh, I just wanted to let you know that I was eavesdropping on your conversation last week. And I said, really? <laughs> and he had come to the conclusion that he needed to be right with God and that he had made a decision to trust in Christ. Isn't that amazing? You guys, I, I, I'm not kidding you. The gospel is the power of God, not me. <laughs> As I simply share the gospel, God's going to use it. He's going to use it. And it might not even be with the guy I'm talking to. It might be with the guy that's overhearing, right? So it, this is his power, and, and he's going to do it. And, and Paul goes on to say, this is the purpose of God. This is not God's plan B. It's his eternal purpose, for all of eternity, God was, was pointing to this, and then now it is made known. Now we know what it is. It's the eternal purpose of God. His purpose is that we would have boldness and confidence in approaching him because of what Christ has done for us. And his purpose is that the unfathomable riches of Christ and the manifold wisdom of God would be known throughout the earth, through the church. Right? And all of this is a manifestation of God's character. Uh, before we close this slide out, look, look what God has done even in the last five minutes that we've talked, right? And this is happening throughout the world today. All right, so the gospel, the manifestation of God's character. 
I'd like to read uh, verses 14 through 19 together. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Wow, what a promise. We have unity through Christ, we're told in uh, verses 14 through 15 here. He talks about every family on earth underneath the Lord, deriving its name from him. I want to look back at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This was God's plan from the beginning. His plan wasn't to exclude, but it was to include, to bring in through Christ. In Genesis 12, we're told that, that God's promise was to Abraham to bless all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth through him, right? And in Galatians 3, Paul says, Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Uh, This is a reality that because of the gospel, we have unity in Christ. And that's not just for Jew and Gentile. That's for Hoffmantown. I just got to encourage you, We've been through some bumps along the way the last couple months, but God's doing something special here. I'm excited to see what he's doing. I'm excited to see the way people are humbling themselves, the way people are seeking reconciliation, the way people are putting their eyes on Christ rather than on circumstances. I mean, I've seen examples of, of grown men crying as they ask each other's forgiveness. This doesn't happen in the world. This is a true demonstration of the gospel and its power to change lives. The same unity that Paul is saying comes through Christ's very nature and through this gospel, this is a reality in our church. And I'm excited to see what God continues to do here. This church has a legacy of being a church that loves God's word, that shares the gospel, that sends missionaries throughout the world. That's a great legacy, and it is not over, guys. It is not over. God is doing something very special here. Because of the unity that we have in Christ, Paul wanted the Ephesians to understand God's very nature, his love for them. See, God hasn't done what he's done dispassionately. Do you remember John three sixteen? I know we all do. For God so loved the world. What he's done, he's done because of his love for us. It's because of his love for the world. This isn't something that he's done in a vacuum because he had to. He didn't have to. He's done this because of his love for us. This mystery is an outflow of the very nature and character of God. In understanding this mystery and this message, Paul comes back to the manifestation of God's character, his love. See, through him and through his love and through his spirit, we have strength. 
Uh, We have a life-changing relationship with Christ through faith, we're told in 17. And we're grounded in love, we read in verses 17 through 19. I want to come back to that famous passage in 1 John where we read about the character of God. It says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love, by this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Love is his character, and we see that in the gospel, and we see that in the unity that Jew and Gentile enjoy in him, and that we as a body enjoy in him as well. Church, we are complete in God, we're told in verse 19. Just like Peter says that we have everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us, right? It's in his word, right? The knowledge of him who called us is in his word, but through his word, we have everything that we need. And it all stems from his character, which is his love for you. Again, like last week, I don't want his love to be something that we see as for all people. It is for all people, but it's for you. God loves you. I told the young lady that recently at a restaurant or gas station, I forget where. I said, did you know God loves you or Jesus loves you? And she goes, I do now. I, I, I don't know what that meant. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, if she didn't know it before, I sure hope she gets it now. And if there's anyone in here that's doubting that, I hope you walk away not doubting that. So we come to the last point in this chapter, the gospel, the maxim of our faith. I want to read the last couple of verses here. Uh, Verses 20 through 21, we'll read them together as we wrap up. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 Here's the maxim of our faith. He is able. Whatever you're going through, whatever we are going through, he is able. He can do all this stuff because he's God. And this is the bridge from the first three chapters to the next three. We've been looking at the, the character of God, the nature of God, and our, our vertical relationship with him, right? And what he does through us. And we're about to jump into this horizontal aspect of Christ through us in our families and workplaces and in our church and in all these different things. He is able. As we jump into the hymn through us, he is able. So let's talk about uh, how we can apply this going forward. Some of you don't know the gospel yet. Some of you have never met Jesus as Savior and Lord. I have no doubt that that there are some in this room that need to make that decision. Um, You know, God is working in hearts, and he might be working in your heart right now. There's a young man in our church, I'll leave unnamed, he wasn't sure he wanted to share his name publicly, but he's someone that I have an incredible privilege of meeting with most every week, and we share coffee together, and we're mutually encouraged by each other's faith, and he began sharing his faith, um, well, he shares his faith often, but in, in January, he met a young man in evangelism and began sharing with that man, 
Kept following up with them. They met several times after that. Continued meeting, continued following up. He got all of his friends to pray for this young man. Uh, lots of people. He would text me, hey, don't forget to be praying for this guy. And just this, this summer, that young man put his trust in Christ. Um, and, and this friend of ours, this member of our body, is now discipling this young man, helping him take baby steps. With, with a young believer, it's just like having a baby. There are baby steps that you take together, okay? Uh, there are people in here today that might be where that young man was at. They know they need to make a decision, and they've come to this point, and the Lord is here this morning, and I believe he's, he's touching your heart, saying, now's the day to respond to me. Let me just tell you this good news that, that we've been talking about. The good news is that God loves you. He created you for a relationship with him. Right at the beginning, right in the, the first chapter of the Bible, God creates man in his image and woman in his image. Right? And he did it so that they could walk in relationship with him, in unity with him. Unfortunately, that was broken by man's sin. Right? And ever since then, we've had a sin problem. We're all sinners, but we're also born into sin. A friend of mine tells me it's uh, kind of like the national debt. You might not have any credit card debt, but the second you're born, you, you are on the hook for trillions of dollars <laughs> that you could never pay off. See, we've all been born into sin, and we also are sinners that have sinned plenty on our own, and we do every day. Uh, that sin separates us from a perfect God. He's perfect, and he cannot tolerate our sin. Any view of God that allows him to just tolerate sin is a false view of God. Left right there, we'd be toast, figuratively and literally. But the Bible tells us God didn't leave it there. His eternal plan was to make a way that we could have peace with God, not through our own works, because I could never do anything to become perfect. So God himself, the only perfect one, came to this earth, lived a perfect sinless life, and he died the ultimate penalty for your sins and mine. And he did it so that you could be forgiven. And then he offers this gift. He says, if you'll believe in me, I'll forgive you, I'll rescue you, I'll give you an eternal life in heaven. That's good news. That's very good news. I'm going to pray right now. And if you've never taken that step to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, agree with me in prayer. You don't have to verbally say this. I want you to meet with God. But just agree with me in prayer. And let's as a church bow our heads together for this. Jesus, I know that you are who you say you are that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me eternal life. Uh, Jesus, I, I believe in you. I trust in you as Savior and Lord. And I'm asking you to make me the kind of person you want me to be and to lead me and guide me. Amen. If you took that step today, that prayer did not save you. It's not a magic button. But I assure you, if you believed in him as Savior and Lord, you are saved because the Bible says so, and you can trust that. Don't, please don't leave without talking to me or somebody with a name tag or somebody, somebody that you came with. Let somebody know you took that step so they can help you grow in it. Now, for those of you that, that are believers, this gospel needs to be shared with the world. I encourage you to share your faith. Share what God has done in your life. 
You could go to John Sondager's K group today. One of my coworkers is going to be teaching people how to share their testimony there. Uh, you could come to the missions conference next week. You'll learn and get some practice. Don't let the practice scare you. It'll be fun, I promise. Uh, but anyway, make, it, make, it, make a decision to say, yes, Jesus, I want to share this good news with the world that needs it. And as you wrestle with that, I want to remind you of Matthew 12, 43. Uh, Jesus says it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if you're wrestling with this idea of, of sharing your faith, uh, maybe lay down that fight and just make it your next step to press into Jesus, to connect with him in a special way, because when he's in his rightful place in our lives, he'll come out in our conversations. Uh, Bill Bright said, success in evangelism is simply taking the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit to share and leaving the results to God. He said, the only way you fail in your witness is if you fail to witness. Right? The Holy Spirit's in you. He's going to empower you. As you just open your mouth and let him speak, he'll do something special, I promise. You guys, as we close, uh, I got some bad news for you. Um, over 150,000 people are going to die today. And many of them will never hear this good news. We have this incredible privilege to share it. Uh, and for you older people in this church, maybe the 65, 75, 85, I don't know. That term is relative, right? Um, I want to tell you thank you. Uh, sincerely, my generation has a lot to thank you for. You have laid a foundation of doing this stuff. You guys in so many ways have, uh, have honored the Lord and you've contributed and you've, you've shared the gospel throughout the world. Um, I just want you to know this next generation, the young guys, <laughs> um, we're, we're thankful to stand on your shoulders as we trust God with his calling here. Um, I love you all. I'm thankful for you. I'm so honored to be a part of this church that, that loves the Lord and loves sharing him with the world. Um, you're a precious, precious, precious church. So the summary, the mystery of the ages, the message for all people, the manifestation of God's character, and the maxim of our faith. He is able. Two weeks from now, after the missions conference, we're going to dive into the life of Christ in and through us in Ephesians 5. Let me pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for this church and, and how this church loves you and has loved sharing you to the very uttermost parts of this world. I thank you for, for what you've done here and the fact that you're not done here. You're going to continue doing great things here. God, today I ask you to make us bold evangelists. Help us share this mystery, this message, with our loved ones, with our coworkers, neighbors, family members. God, we rely on you knowing that we're insufficient, but through you, we're sufficient because you are sufficient. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your very precious name we pray. Amen.